Welcome to a breath of fresh air with Sandy Kay. Because it's a beautiful day. Mm-hmm. A breath of fresh air. Beautiful day. Oh, baby, any day that you're gone away. It's a beautiful day. Hi, thanks for your company. I'm so pleased you could make it. Coming up, well, we'll hear from the voice of Manfred Mann's Earth Band. Blinded by the light, wrapped up like a douche, another runner in the night. Blinded by the light, wrapped up like a douche, another runner in the night. More from Englishman Chris Thompson very soon. I'm also super excited to introduce you to one half of the Righteous Brothers, Bill Medley, who's still making great music after more than 60 years. music rap and Van Morrison's got an album out this week that's just awesome. It's his 43rd studio album called What's It Gonna Take? 15 new compositions feature here and each one proves he's still got what it takes to be one of the world's greatest artists. Here's one of my favourites, Dangerous. Somebody said I was dangerous said something bad it had to be good well there must be somebody looking seeing I'm close to it maybe I'm getting closer to the truth Still been good. Somebody said I was dangerous. I must be getting close to the truth. Now, if you're old enough to remember the pairing of Nancy Sinatra with Lee Hazelwood, you might just be interested to hear that their Nancy and Lee record back from 1968 has been reissued on vinyl for the first time. This was one of the highlights from that album. I walked in town on Silver Spurs, the jingle too. A song that I had only sang to just a few. She saw my silver spurs and said, let's pass some time And I will give to you summer wine Oh, summer wine What do they say? Everything old is new again. This is a breath of fresh air with Sandy Kay. It's a beautiful day. If you grew up in Australia and loved your music, I'll bet you, like me, were a huge Graham Bonnet fan since the 70s. Graham used to front bands like Richie Blackmore's Rainbow and Alcatraz, and now he's back with the Graham Bonnet band and a new album called Day Out in Nowhere. I'm very happy with it. Sounds great. Are you able to listen to yourself as the audience hears you? Yeah. I'm always critical about anything I do. I criticise every freaking note I've seen. I go, oh, I should have done that. I should have done this. Every record I've made since 1968 with my cousin back in the Marvels days in England, I'm always going, should have done that again. It's one song we did on the album. It's a sad song. And I didn't sing it great. Because I was a bit choked up, 
I was like, you know, well, because she's a friend of mine and her husband told me what happened to her. And I wrote down the story, basically. And it's very sad. And I said, no, I could have done it better. And I think I could have done it better, but it wouldn't have sounded as honest. And the end came in when I sang in my range, in the higher bit, where it's more emotional. For me, I started crying because it's a friend of ours and uh, it's a true story about how our friend lost his wife. Their love is forever But she left him that day To somewhere that he could not follow He held her so closely She smiled one more time Then with her last breath She let this life go With the hand of an artist She painted his world The colors he upon are now fading His spirit is shattered As she lay in his arms He speaks her name But there's no You mentioned the very first single that you did with the duo, The Marbles, in 1968. Do you mind if we reflect on how you've got to where you are today and then come back to the new album? Oh, absolutely. So the first single was called Only One Woman and the follow-up then was Walls Fell Down. Both of those songs were written by Barry Robin and Morris Gibb of the Bee Gees. Yeah. How did that come about for you? Well, that's because the other marble, Trevor, my cousin, he was in the Bee Gees when he lived in Australia, he was the guitar player, singer. He was Trevor Gordon and the Bee Gees. They were very, very young. And what happened was my cousin Trevor came to England when I was living there. And we were playing in London one night. And uh, there was somebody in the audience that was the manager of the Bee Gees when they were back in Australia. And the guy came up to my cousin and said, Trevor, I think uh, Barry Robin and Morris would love to see you. Here's the Barry's telephone number. Yeah. So Trevor went over to Barry's house. He started talking to Barry and about, he wants to do some music with Trevor. And so he said, my, my cousin is a singer. Would you like to meet him? So a couple of days later, I went over to meet the Bee Gees and it was magical. Robert Stigwood was there, their manager. He said uh, to Barry, when can we give these boys a song to record? And Barry said, I don't have anything. So we'll get something written for them and we'll have them in the studio tomorrow kind of thing. And so Barry made up this melody and we you know, la la through this thing. Uh, I'm singing it down right now. But only one woman, only one woman, I got a picture of the woman I love. Australia, this country's been exceptionally good to you, hasn't it? Maybe better than anywhere else, because in yeah. 1977, you were absolutely massive here with, with a couple of yeah. huge hits. Tell us about those yeah. and, and those days. I remember making that album, the first solo album I did, you're, you're talking about, and the first single, it's called It's All Over, All Over Now, Baby Blue, and thinking, okay, what's going to happen with this? Because nothing was happening. I was like, what, what the hell am I going to do? For so that record in England, did nothing nothing at all but australia it suddenly was like i heard it was number one you must leave now take what you need you think will last whatever you wish to keep you better grab it fast you understand you're often with his Look out, the saints are coming through And it's all over now, 
It was a cover version of the Bob Dylan song, wasn't it? But yeah, yeah, you did it. So, so I much changed better. it a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Of course, the following year was even bigger for you because that was the year '78 when you released Warm Ride, which was huge. I didn't do anything anywhere else but Australia. Might have done something. I'm not quite sure in Japan. How do you explain that it was so huge in in one continent and did nothing in another? You know, I don't know. It's Especially, well, England, there are a bunch of snobs. You know, you've got to be really trendy and groovy and fabulous. And at you the time are, when my. You are groovy and fabulous. Oh, I know. You've got to tell them. It's, oh, <laughs> back really? then, uh, what was happening when I put that song out is the punk era. You know, so London was all kind of punk stuff. London calling, there, but you yeah. know, all those. It was right on the cusp, wasn't it, when it really changed it was, into that punk era? Yeah, it was kind of a, a weird one. So I can see why nothing happened there. job with a band called Rainbow and I didn't know who the hell Rainbow were. You know, after the Baby Blue disaster in England, I had a phone call from uh, Roger Glover, the bass player for Rainbow or Deep Purple, if you will, and um, they gave me the job. It was just incredible. Don Airy playing the keyboards, Richie Blackmore, Roger Glover, Cozy Powell. I went back to England and I said to my manager, I don't think I'm right for this. I've my hair's short. Cozy used to call me the bank manager. Um, <laughs> so I thought, oh yeah, there you go. I didn't feel part of it. Did you grow your hair? No. I get the same old dreams, same time every night. Fall to the ground and I wake up. So I get out of bed, put on my shoes and in my head. Thoughts like back to the breakup. song that Russ Ballard wrote, uh, Since You've Been Gone, put them on the radio. We were on the radio every freaking day. We did the album called Down to Earth, which Since You've Been Gone was on. And then we started to so-called write a new album. And we were rehearsing in Copenhagen. So I said to Don, I said, well, nobody's at rehearsal. Where's Richie? So oh, he's, he's gone out with his girlfriend. They've gone sightseeing. I promised we be rehearsing for the next album. I went back to LA and I got a call from them saying, hey, when are you coming back, Grant? I said, well, what's the point? The band was falling apart. I thought the band was just going to go. Then you went on to form an all new band called Alcatraz. Yeah. There were three of us, then there were four of us. Then we found Yngwie Malmsteen, who was an incredible guitar player. And when Yngwie came in to do his so-called audition and played this song called S.O.S., it was like, my God, that's incredible. It was just incredible. He looked like Richie Blackmore. He had all the black gear on and the spandex pants and the white boots. And it was just amazing. And that guy is still incredible to this day. I'm chatting with Graham Bonnet here. Graham, it was 2015 when you formed the Graham Bonnet Band. You recruited the first female bass player to be in yeah. your band in your partner, Bethany. Yeah. How does that work out for you? Well, it's worked out fine. What happened with the old band, so to speak, uh, the, the Alcatraz that I'm no longer associated with, there was a, now nah, I don't want to talk about that really. You're telling me she wasn't accepted into the band, well? Well, she was at first. We found out these guys are just talking behind my back, behind her back, and, you know, slagging us both off. You know, you know John and Yoko, whatever the fuck, you know, all that kind of thing. Right in the Russian countryside, the sky was so clear and sunny. 
while back, we uh, were playing out in Russia and we're driving in the van and, you know, a beautiful day, birds flying, horses running all over the place. And suddenly I'm looking out the window, I'm going, there's no birds in the sky. Where's the horses? And everything looked kind of dead. And I'm going, what's happened? No birds singing, no birds in the trees, no cows, no horses, nothing. And that was the day out of nowhere, probably about 20 miles away from the city. I thought to myself, I bet you when we get closer to the city, we'll see life in the air again. And suddenly, yeah, there they were. I think what, what happens there, the, the, the farmlands, they, there's some kind of electronic thing they use or something seems to freak out the whole wildlife. The other track that I really like on the album, When We Were Asleep. <laughs> yeah, you would. That's a little tongue-in-cheek one. I wrote that for guys who probably have the same experiences through, through their marital lives or whatever. Bethany thinks it's about her. And I said, no, it's not. It's about anybody you like who argue or whatever. But when we're asleep, we're, we're great. Bonnet, you've been so generous with your time. I better let you go. Thanks a lot, darling. Congrats on the album. Thank you, sweetheart. Stay tuned. Coming up next, we check in with this song's author. And I got a phone call from my publishing company saying, oh, we've got a cover for You're the Voice. I said, who is it? They said, it's John Farnham from Australia. And I said, no, no, no. This is a breath of fresh air with Sandy Kay. It's a beautiful day. Thanks for sticking with me. There's some great stuff still to come. Call me one-hit wonder. Curse me to the day I die. I hit the blunt and just wonder Now you might think it's a little bit unfair of me to place my next guest in the one-hit wonder category because he's had so many one-hit wonders, both as a singer and a songwriter. No matter where he sits, he's a voice you'll not only recognise but want to hear much more of. You might know him from Manfred Mann's Earth Band or the 70s group Night. He also wrote You're the Voice for John Farnham. Meet Englishman Chris Thompson. Hi, Sandy. Hi, Chris. How are you? I'm okay. Chris, I want to talk to you about your incredible career. You're certainly a man of the world, aren't you? I had no idea that you were actually raised in New Zealand. Yeah. And music was really your first love at that time. You got involved with several bands. The most well-known, I think, was the band called Mandrake. Well, yeah, that was probably the most well-known. Tell us a little bit about Mandrake. We did some Blood, Sweat and Tears and we did some Chicago and we did some Aussie Beast stuff. The band was really, really good. Well, then, of course, the normal thing happens with bands where people go in kind of different directions, and so the band broke up and then eventually got an invitation to come to England, yeah, which I did. Well, the next thing anybody knows is that you've joined Manfred Mann's Earth Band. How did that come yeah, about? I struggled for, I think, about a year and a half applying for jobs everywhere to work and singing in my cupboard to try and keep myself fresh and, and fit and had to get a day job, of course. So so how did you get the break with, with Manfred Mann? I answered an advertisement in the Melody Makers saying, uh, you know, band with deal needs singer-guitar player, no time wasters. So I called the number that was on the ad. It was very funny. They asked me to bring a cassette. You know, I didn't really have a cassette. I just had some stuff that I'd recorded in New Zealand, very rough. I was living in northwest London, and I had to go right to southeast to deliver this tape. So I went down all the way. It took me an hour and a quarter, I think. Knocked on the door. Somebody's opened the door. What do you want? I said, here's a cassette for the advertisement. Snatched the cassette, closed the door, and I just went back home. And as I was walking in the door, the telephone was ringing. And it was this voice who said, you just dropped a tape at the workhouse. Is that you singing? I said, yeah, of course it's me singing. He said, well, can you come and see me? 
we can play some stuff. So I said, yeah, when, when shall I come? He said, well, can you come now? So I turned around and went all the way back. And of course, it was Manfred. But I recognized him, of course, because I was a big Manfred Mann fan. I, I loved the early records and I loved Paul Jones, the singer. And so I was pretty astounded, really. Everybody's gonna jump for joy. He showed me some songs that they were working on, one of which was Blinded by the Light. And, you know, I tried to sing. I'd never heard it or anything. So I was just listening to what he did. And luckily, because I've sung every kind of song imaginable, I was able to interpret that and sing and, and eventually he gave me the job. So you joined the band and he got you to sing lead vocals on that song? Yeah, there was no other vocalist, so I did it. So that's your voice we hear on that song that, that just flew up the charts. Sandy, that is my voice, yes. Blinded by the light Wrapped up like a douche Another owner in the night Blinded by the light I'm 75. When I sang that, I was 27 or something like that. Mm. And I can tell you the voice doesn't stay the same. It doesn't. By the time you get to 50, it started to change. I mean, it was a God gift for me, that my voice. I could sing anything at all. That's why I'm stopping live work, because it's just too difficult. I've had a lovely life singing, and I eventually finished with Manfred in 1999. That was the last concert I did. She Basically, I was balancing night with Manfred Man's Earth Band, which wasn't a clever thing to do because it was just too much. Night was really successful too. Yeah, it was, it was kind of successful, not as successful as we really hoped it would be. We had a first single, did really well, and we just didn't have a follow-up. The band really didn't make any sense to the Americans because it was two singers. The first hit was with the, it was Hot Summer Night with Stevie, the singer, singing it.
second track we put out was If You Remember Me, which was with me singing it. And the two tracks were so dissimilar that people didn't say, oh, that's night, or they say, mm. how come mm. that is night? How does it work? So, you know, then we went on tour with the Doobie Brothers for nine months, which was absolutely fantastic. And we went to make a second record in England, and then <laughs> music changed. Punk came in. Everything you know, changed. Yeah. yeah, everything changed. I was working a life where I worked all the time, every day doing working recordings, writing. You know, I was never somebody to go out and stay out all night drinking. And I was always a hard worker, always worked. That's why I was saying I was balancing night with Man From Man's Earth Band flying across the ponds. I was working too hard, really. There's so much I didn't know about you when I first set out to talk to you. I didn't realise that you'd co-written the song You're The Voice, which, of course, John Farnham made into a huge hit. It was a great song for us. We were lucky that John did it really because he was looking for the song. We had the song. You know, he was looking to resurrect his career in Australia and and he did. It's incredible what's happened with that song. How did he find it? Well, one of the other writers, Andy Kunter, he was in a band called Ice House. I'm sure you know that band. Of course. recording in the same studio as John and he heard them saying ah we don't have a hit for this record John and um Andy pulled the cassette out and went how about this and gave him the song and they recorded it straight away without our permission actually because I was living in England and I got a phone call from my publishing company saying oh we've got a cover for you're the voice I said who is it they said it's John Farnham from Australia and I said no No. You know why, of course. No, tell me. Well, what was John famous for before you're the voice? Sadie, the cleaning lady, with trusty scrubbing brush and pail of water, worked her fingers to the bone for the life she had at home, providing at the same time for her daughter. Ah, Sadie. Cleaning lady, her aching knees not getting any younger. Well, her red detergent hands have for years not held a man's, and time would find her heart expired of hunger. Scrubby your floors, do your chores, dear old Sadie. Looks as though you. the only song I'd heard of John's. That's what I knew him for. Right. And so I said, no, that's impossible. The publishing company said, well, will you listen to it? And I said, sure, I'll listen to it. Yeah. And of course I heard it and it was fantastic. And I was so thrilled. I think John was very upset that I actually said no at the beginning. <laughs> I, I explained to him exactly why, because, you know, living in New Zealand. That's all you'd heard from him. Yeah, yeah, that was all I'd heard from him. The years between that and You're the Voice were quite a lot. He stuck very closely to the original demo, but made the wonderful changes of the bagpipes.
we've featured on so many different albums with a host of very talented artists, people like Alan Parsons and Steve Hackett, Bonnie Tyler, Mike Oldfield, Sarah Brightman. Do you have a favourite amongst all of those? Alan. Alan Parsons. Yeah. We went on the road with the Alan Parsons project, had never been on the road before. I went as one of two singers and we recorded a whole bunch of the stuff and did a live record. And I think that's the best singing I ever did was live with Alan. A favourite track from that one? Limelight. those great songs you've given the world we've loved your voice on all of those records and thank we'll you. look forward to your continued adventures when i finish my live record when i finish that and i've finished my new record that i'm making love right. to talk to you again anytime right. thanks, no, thanks very much saturday night at the movies who cares what picture you see Streaming time again with media critic Alan Craig. Hi, Alan. Hi, Sandy. Hi, everyone. I know you've been watching a fabulous show on Apple TV. It's called Shining Girls. What do you reckon? Oh, I I really like it. I mean, I thought I'd seen enough crime and serial killer stories to last me a lifetime, but this one's a bit different. It comes from a 2013 novel. It's a very different way of unfolding a story. What did you think? I really liked it. It's a series of eight. It stars Elizabeth Moss, whom we all know from Handmaid's Tale. And Mad Men. Yeah, okay, and Mad Men too. She's really good in it, although I I have a lot of trouble getting past the fact that she's actually a Scientologist and a lot of the part that she plays sits so directly in contrast to the way she's been brought up. Did that bother you? No, her performance is very intense. She always brings a certain intensity, sometimes verging on humorless, I find, but she's certainly compelling in it. She's a an archivist in a big newspaper, the Chicago Sun-Times, and she's working with a journalist there. And the, the two work quite well, feed off one another together. I thought it was, a, it was a nice way of telling a story. She's actually a wannabe journalist. Without giving away too much, it's because she's been attacked in the past and she wants to find the perpetrator. The perpetrator's played by a guy called Jamie Bell, who, in my opinion, really deserves a whole lot of kudos for playing it so damn well. He's really disturbing, very unsettling. Yeah, he's uh, he's creepy. Interestingly, the book was bought by the production company owned by Leonardo DiCaprio, and it falls into this trend that we're seeing a lot of lately of altered realities, which is very big in everything, everywhere, all the time, but also in that series you may remember called Russian Doll. This is the sort of thing that has now become all the vogue because she struggles to keep it together, but to be in one place at one time or remember where she's been and the timeline is all over the place. Different things happen and we think that they're happening um, consequentially, but in fact, they're taken out of, out of sequence and we don't quite know where we are. It requires a bit of patience to watch it, I found. I thought the visuals are really tremendous. The uh, camera angles are fantastic and there's all these really clever shots. A lot of the pacing helps that too. It's very moody, very evocative. Don't watch it on your own, but definitely watch it. Shining Girls, it's on Apple TV+. Plus. The only downside about it is that you can't really binge it. Well, I suppose you can if you start now. One episode drops every week. Yeah, I've got to say, we should talk about Apple TV+. Plus at some stage. I'm not a big fan. There's not enough on there for the prices that they're asking. The other thing I'd say about this is uh, if you come to watch this, don't have someone talking in your ear while you're watching it. I promise I won't say a word. (laughs) Thanks for your time today, Alan. Oh, thank you, Sandy. Always a pleasure. Hang in there, won't you? Up next, we meet Bill Medley from The Righteous Brothers. This is a breath of fresh air with Sandy Kay. It's a beautiful day. Great to have you still with me. I'm so excited to introduce you to my next guest. Suzanne from Armadale in Victoria asked me to track down Bill Medley from The Righteous Brothers and what an incredible tale he has to tell. 
Bill and his partner Bobby Hatfield grew up in Southern California. Both had sung in church choirs and both had started off singing the blues. Bill says the Righteous Brothers just happened. The success that came their way was unasked for and totally unexpected. Bill Medley, thank you so much for your time today. Well, my pleasure. It's uh, <laughs> At my age, it's a thrill to be anywhere. <laughs> I guess you got to feel lucky, don't you, to have made it into your 80s. And uh, with the life that you've lived, I'm sure that you may have wondered sometimes. Yeah, it's been quite a ride. It's been about a 60-year ride uh, as the Righteous Brothers. And uh, in reality, we've had two careers. We had career, well, maybe three careers. We had a career from 62 to 65 where we did nothing but rock and roll and rhythm and blues. Then in 65, we did Love and Feeling, and that kind of took us into a whole other area. And then in the, the end of the 80s came the movies Top Gun, Dirty Dancing, and Ghost, and we were like starting over again. It was, uh, <laughs> it's been phenomenal. Do you mind if we start where it all began? Well, go ahead. Walk on. I believe that back in 1964, you guys actually opened for the Beatles. Uh, yeah. Yeah, they needed a little help. So we uh, <laughs> <laughs> we got about halfway through the tour and uh, we asked Brian uh, Epstein if we could leave the tour early because we had an offer to do Chindig. And thank God we did because the show became huge. And we recorded Love and Feeling about the same time. So we were getting all that national exposure and uh, it worked great. But the, the Beatle tour was a lot of fun. And some of it was like the boot camp of rock and roll, you know. What do you mean it's, by that? Well, you, you see some of these documentaries showing the kids being squashed up in front. That's what we were experiencing because we were on right before the Beatles. And uh, there was a lot of the kids being crushed. A couple of years after it was over, we realized that we had a front row seat to history. Bobby and Bill came together as part of a band called the Paramours, and when the two discovered their mutual love of R&B and blues music, they just clicked and their lives changed forever. It was very strange, I mean, because I had written a, a, a little song called Little Latin Loopy Lou, and people loved to dance to it. Talking about my baby. company came in and we sang it and he said boy i love that song we ought to record it so we said well okay and we needed a name we didn't want to go as the paramours because paramours were five guys and it was just bobby and i a lot of the black marines would come down because they heard there was these two guys down at the club singing rhythm and blues and in those days you had a great looking car they, they might would say boy what a righteous looking car which meant good and if they liked you as a friend, they, they would call your brother. Hey, brother, how you doing? Right. And so sometimes when we would come to work, they would say, hey, Righteous Brothers, how you doing? Which meant good friend. Right. That's how so, you got uh, the name. That's it. It wasn't long before the two of you were gathering a, a huge reputation. And, of course, you had that massive hit. You've lost well, that love and feeling. Tell me about that. Well, it was real interesting because, you know, from 62 to 64, we just sang rhythm and blues. So Phil Spector saw us. He wanted to produce us. And we said, okay, let's, let's do that. And he called Barry Mann and Cynthia Wilde. They wrote, you've lost that love and feeling. When they sang it for us, Barry and Phil had real high, thin voices. And I said, what a great song for the Everly Brothers. Uh, but we worked on it and worked on it and it finally got down into my ring, you never close your eyes. Instead of you never close your eyes, because they wrote it in that key. You never close your eyes, and fast. Right. So it felt like a totally different song. So they would lower it, and every time they would lower it, Phil slowed it down to where it was finally, you never close your eyes anymore, you know, and uh, it became a monstrous. You never close your eyes. Tenderness, like in your 
disc jockeys loved it because they could go to the bathroom while they played. <laughs> or have a quick smoke break. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I, think, I think that's what, what made it a success. Truly, a lot of people thought that the song was on the wrong speed. So, so everything that was wrong with it, I think, became important. We knew it was a great song. We just didn't necessarily feel that it was a great song for us. <laughs> and for some reason, they just started playing it and uh, took off. It, it, it certainly took off. H how did it change your life? Bought a new suit, <laughs> bought a new car. It was huge business, and we weren't used to that. It was really a different world, a great, great world. I mean, a phenomenal world, but a lot, a lot more stress uh, involved. Yes. What led to Unchained Melody then? Yeah, when we started recording with Phil Spector, I produced our early hits and albums before Love and Feeling. So when we went with Phil, Phil asked me to uh, produce the albums. We fell in love with Unchained Melody in the 50s when Roy Hamilton recorded it. Phil put it on the B-side of what was supposed to be the hit. And for some reason, every disc jockey in America just flipped it over and started playing Unchained Melody, and it just became a hit. But then... After Ghost, it was just huge. have been quite shocked when that took off the first time and the second time more than shocked i'm telling you man I, I i would love to tell you that the righteous brothers just worked their their hearts out but everything just happened despite the duo's incredible success bill left the righteous brothers and began to work vegas as a solo act and 73 i was told i'd never sing again I was doing three shows a night, and uh, I had gotten laryngitis, but still had to sing with it, and I really did damage. Two of the biggest throat doctors in Hollywood said, no, you're done. Your throat looks like hamburger meat. How'd you feel and about I, that? Oh, devastated. I'm truly a one-trick pony. I'm a singer. I don't do anything else good. And I was really angry, but more hurt and, and devastated and lost. And uh, my high school choir teacher, who now was given voice lessons, I ran into him and he said, how you doing? I, I said, I'm not doing well. Can't sing anymore. He said, I can fix that. And he started giving me lessons. It wasn't easy and it wasn't fun. It was painful, emotionally painful. I still take voice lessons. Bill Medley, we spoke a few weeks ago to your friend Jennifer Warns. Oh. She told us about how she came together with you to do the Dirty Dancing soundtrack. How was that for you? Well, I certainly wanted to sing with Jennifer. They called me to do the uh, time of my life, and my wife Paula was nine months pregnant, and I said, I can't do it. 
And they said, no, no, it's a cute little movie and everybody thinks that you should be the voice of Patrick Swayze. So they kept on me and Paula had our child. So it was kind of a perfect kind of combination of the beauty and the beast. We went in there and did the song and we had a blast. I've been and Bill Medley's career soared to new heights. Time of My Life hit number one worldwide. Lost That Loving Feeling boomed again when it was featured on the soundtrack of the film Top Gun and Unchained Melody returned as part of the Ghost soundtrack. I'm telling you, if you made a movie out of it, you would say this is the corniest thing I've ever seen. But yeah. to have a second shot at it, just yeah. a remark. Amongst all that joy, though, Bobby Hatfield suddenly passed away. It really threw me. He was my righteous brother. For four years, I was really lost. I was off balance. And finally, it started to come around living in this world and, and living, you know, musically and everything else without Bobby it was very strange. I'm always fulfilled on stage, but it was very fulfilling on stage with Bobby. Bill managed to get back on his feet and dedicated his next album both to Bobby and to his first love, the blues. The album's called Your Heart to Mine. I've always wanted to do a blues album. I knew that, you know, the end of the road was coming and I didn't want to get out of here without having a blues album because that is who I am. That's what I am. That's how I sing. I was thrilled to death to do that and pay tribute to all the artists that inspired me. What's your favourite track on it, Bill Medley? Which one should we go out on? There's a song, still my favourite song, by Ray Charles called Drowned in My Own Tears. Bill, thank you so much for talking with me today. God bless you. Thank you. Bye-bye. I'm going to sit and cry Oh, just like a child I fall in tears are running wild If you don't think, baby oh, I'd have to be home soon I believe I'm gonna drown Oh, in the morning and right now Oh, in my own tears Hey, hey, I know it's true I know it's true Yes, that uh, into each life Brothers Bill Medley. I hope you enjoyed hearing from him as much as I enjoyed chatting with him. 
Thanks again for asking for him, Suzanne. And don't forget, if you'd like to request a guest, just send me a message through the website, A Breath of Fresh Air. That's abreathoffreshair.com.au. I'll do my very best to make it happen. And on that note, time for me to get out of here. Please do join me again same time next week. I'll look forward to your company then. Bye now. Because it's a beautiful day been listening to a breath of fresh air with sandy k beautiful day oh baby any day that you're gone away it's a beautiful day